Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in. This is episode nine of the pod. Uh, I am your host, Kellen Cupid. Uh, thank you so much for taking some time to listen to me talk a little bit about Quidditch. So this week uh, for the pod, we have three incredibly gifted uh, Quidditch minds joining me to talk about these new MLQ rosters that just joined. So I was able to secure guests from across the country, uh, one from each division, to kind of just go into a little bit of depth of uh, what each division holds for this 2021 season. So I had some really interesting conversations. We talk about a range of different things. Uh, I don't want to spoil too much, so I'll talk about it more when uh, you know we transition over to the conversations. But uh, all in all, it was a great time, and I'm just really excited for the season to come back. Uh, we're just a little over a month away at the time of recording this. Uh, and I'm expecting big things out of this season, the season where almost every single team has an extremely high rate of turnover. And hopefully there's going to be widespread parity across the league. Uh, so, yeah, without further ado, let's get into these conversations. OK, everyone, thank you so much for uh, sticking with us. Um, so now talking about the MLQ Eastern Division, I have with me Julia Baer. Uh, you know, former USN team member and star of the Washington Admirals. Hey, Julia, how's it going? Hi, it's going well. How are you, Kellen? Um, I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I'm just I'm really excited. Quidditch is almost back. Uh, you know, this roster's just dropped. Everyone's just getting so close. How are you? I am great. I am so excited to dive into these rosters. There's so much to talk about. I'm so excited to get back on the field. It's all very exciting. Uh, yeah, it's been Oh my gosh, it's been almost two years now for some people since last playing. It's insane, but we're we're so close. Um, and just to get a little more excited, let's let's get into these rosters a little bit. I'd love to know, uh, in your opinion, what your most favorite off-season additions have been to uh, you know some of these Eastern roster teams. So the East is so interesting this year, um, and. I obviously know the East, you know, better than a lot of the other divisions in MLQ, so I can't speak for those, but there have been a ton of shakeups this year. Um, and there have been a ton of moves from city to city, one of which, um, or a couple of which actually, have been Justin Cole and Brian Mulcahy from Boston to Washington, which I'm so excited about as an assistant coach of Washington. Because they were both very integral Quaffle players in Boston's run to the championships in 2019. So that's huge. And another exciting addition to Washington is David Littleton. Um, and of course, we have to mention Rachel Heald coming to Washington mm. as well. So I know I'm biased. I have to start with Washington. But those are kind of my first, most you know, front of mind additions um, and kind of like Squint and look at the roster a little closer <laughs> to watch the DC team this year. I have to agree with you. I, I personally believe that um, the additions of especially one Rachel Heald and also um, Brian McKay and Justin Cole um, are just massive, uh, not mm -hmm. only because of the talent addition that they give Washington, but also Justin Cole and Brian McKay were pivotal members to that Boston winning or the championship winning Boston squad last uh, 2019. Absolutely. Um, so I, yeah, just, just losing those two huge impact players to a divisional rival. Nonetheless, it's, it's got to hurt for Boston. Mm 
Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. we'll get into uh, some impactful losses a little bit later on in a second. But personally, I just wanted to share real quick. I I, I agree that, you know, a lot of uh, mix-ups amongst, you know, the top two or three teams have really been interesting. Personally, one of my additions has been um, on a team that, you know, might not get as much attention or uh, respect uh, in comparison to the top dogs. I'm talking about Rochester Whiteout. Uh, Rochester added my favorite seeker in all of college, uh, Cardiac Kit, Kit Papur. Oh, uh, I can't. I'm so glad you said that. I've been so excited <laughs> to talk about Kit. Yeah. Oh man, cardiac hit. and then also the addition of Emily Hickmont as well. I, I feel mm-hmm. like Emily is extremely versatile. Those two in particular, I am so overjoyed and excited at like an MLQ level. A lot of help around them to just really perform to their highest uh, potential. Like, I don't know. What, what do you think, uh, Julia? Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, Kit is going to is going to kill it for Rochester. Kit was the reason that BU did so well this past season of USQ. Um, and, and Emily Hickmont, too. She, she's an MLQ veteran. She's been kind of all over the board. She was on that legendary female chaser squad in 2015 of Boston that took home the first MLQ title. And she's just a really great teammate and really great player. So I think she's really going to thrive in Rochester. Yeah. Oh, wow. Two just incredible acquisitions for Rochester. Um, I, I'm so excited to see how they play this year. But all right, so I guess let's kind of transition more so into, we already talked about Boston losing uh, Justin Cole and Brian Mulcahy. What are some other just noticeable losses that uh, you think teams have had uh, since the last time we've seen MLQ in session? Yeah, so call me a nerd. I actually made a whole spreadsheet of losses and additions from the 2019 rosters and the 2021 rosters and it's shocking it's shocking kellen they're okay we talked about justin and brian we can skate past them new york and take this with a grain of salt because it's only the the first roster worth noting that there are five more players that could be added to both of these rosters but from new york we don't see on the first 25 mo hagog sean hazlitt janice Liu, tyler walker stephen bolitsky landon garfinkel Stephen Blitzky obviously could not be added because he's now playing for Boston. It's another big ad for Boston. And then from Rochester, we got Shane Hurlbert, Dan Gagne, Josh Kramer, Sam Dinga, Devin Sandin, Ellie Lysick, all missing. And those were all, they were all playing big minutes. That is insane about, yeah. you know, in, uh, we're talking individual losses, but also just line losses and culture losses as well. Yeah, like I think those those last two points you made especially are the biggest impacts to me. Just the overall quantity of losses both those teams have had are just it's hard for any team to come back from you know losing uh, whole lines worth of players regardless of what their talent is, and mm-hmm. both of those teams are losing extremely talented players as well. So. I mean, hopefully we'll see uh, a little more uh, depth come in in these uh, new updated rosters that will release soon. But I have to agree, you know, you look at the beater lineup for New York Titans, Devin White and Tyler Walker, the two starters in that um, very close against Austin in the semifinals 2019 are nowhere to be found on this Mm -hmm. roster. So you're already starting off, you know, with a huge loss there. And 
Um, although they did pick up Ellie Lysich, who uh, USNTDA just mm-hmm. is an incredible talent from Rochester. Um, the chaser depth as well is still very light for New York. And it's you know the same situation in Rochester as well, where, um, of course, there's some huge pickups uh, here and there. But uh, overall, it, it really is just hor- like horrifying to see just how much these teams might struggle um, just based off sheer size of their losses. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, I have to note too, Ethan loves to joke about this. Admirals only has one beater coming back from the 2019 roster. We've lost oof. Perry Wang, uh, Zane Balia, both just like absolutely amazing beaters, and the rest of the beater core as well, for some reason or another. So I think across the board, it's really just a ton of losses. And I think it's a real opportunity for have some players rise up and have some breakout seasons and kind of reform the lines a little bit. Uh, Well, that's a great transition talking about breakout seasons and, you know, players needing to step up. Are there any uh, rookies or newer players that you're kind of keeping your eye on throughout the season for the East division? Totally. Totally. And I think before I, before I get into that, I want to define what you mean by rookie And I define rookie as never played MLQ before because as we mentioned, so many shakeups, there are rookies, quote unquote, to new teams. And I think I'm going to skate past them a little bit and focus. We already talked about uh, cardiac kit. You called him. Yes. Uh, Yes. Cardiac kit. My guy. (laughs) (laughs) So that's obviously a big pickup for Rochester. So the rookies for me, honestly, are. Uh, for the Admiral specifically, we've got an amazing talent in TJ Generat coming in from University of Maryland as both a seeker and chaser. Really, really excited to see how he does. Um, as well as Andrew Stevenson, who's a keeper for Michigan. Really, really great. pumped to see how he performs in the MLQ scope. He's a really, really great um, driver and disher, and I think he's going to do really well. The other people I really want to mention... Um, I don't know if you've heard of him. Kellen Cupid's coming to the Titans, <laughs> uh, which is like the definition of a quote unquote noticeable rookie. Um, <laughs> and also, and please correct me if I mispronounce this, Antoine Giron? Drone, yes. Giron, Antoine Drone. Both yes. from NYU and both integral to NYU's success in recent years. Would you, can you elaborate a little bit on both of those players <laughs> for me? Yeah, yeah, no, no, no worries. Yeah, I got you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I will say this, though. Uh, thank you, though, for the kind words. I, I do believe uh, I, I've had a lot of success seeking us, but um, most of that's just because Antoine has been such a great uh, such a pitch seeker. Mm. So although the uh, Titans lost Devin White and Ty- or Devin Lee and Tyler mm-hmm. Walker, I think the pickup of Antoine is going to be huge, especially on snitch on pitch, mm. um, because uh, I, I then get time with uh, the snitch and then Vincent as well, who is a big pickup. Um, I'm, uh, but uh, he and I are definitely going to have enough time to, you know, get on the snitch. And I think that if I have time on the snitch, if Vincent has on time on the snitch, we could really give any team in the division a good run for their money, despite, you know, lacking some depth. Mm. Um, but I do agree. I think TJ Generate might be my most exciting player to watch this upcoming USQ season. So mm. I, I think that's a huge, huge pickup for y'all. Personally, the rookies that I have my eye on um, are actually uh, 
beaters for Boston this year, um, Addy Arjona and Thomas DeMuth. Mm. Um, I think those two were probably two of the best, if not uh, the two best beaters in MQC last year. So, or last season we had Quidditch. Um, Mm -hmm. So just seeing them dominate on a college level uh, like that, I'm curious to see how they perform, you know, now surrounded with other club level talent, you know, MLQ teams and not only just other club level talent, but, the national or the reigning championship squad. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I think it'll be really pivotal learning from like Max and Lulu and Leanne and Mario and um, just all the talent on that team. So mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about the rookies this year for sure. Absolutely. And I feel like it's just so unfair that Addie and Tom are joining that beater core. Like <laughs> yeah. that is insane. But yeah. Um, yeah, to quote to quote Harry Greenhouse back in the day, iron sharpens iron. So I think they're going to learn a lot. And I think that to get better, you have to to play with the best. And I think there's no better beater core in MLQ than Boston. Now, it's funny you talk about the uh, how strong the Boston beater core is because I actually think one of my like favorite storylines about this Eastern Division is that uh, if you could just – maybe snag two or three chasers off this Washington squad and trade them for like two or three beaters off this Boston squad, both teams would just be drastically so much better. Mm -hmm. The chaser depth in Washington is just insane. And likewise for Boston and their beaters. Um, So I always just find that a little funny how just like uh, completely reversed the two teams are. Now, do you have any other like, you know, interesting storylines that stuck out to you about this division? Well, that's so funny you, you say that to introduce this this um the storyline conversation because I think I think that na- that puts the the nail on the head with what my number one storyline is and I have two so I'll go into the second one in a minute but since I'm a numbers nerd I like I mentioned I made a spreadsheet and <laughs> from the 25 rosters so of course take it with a grain of salt um uh, the Titans retained 3 of their 2019 beaters Rochester retained two, Washington retained one, Boston retained six, and then, of course, as we mentioned, recruited Addie and Tom. So six is a whole roster, but there's also depth behind that. So the question of, you know, how will these beaters from New York, Rochester, and Washington, you know, rise to the occasion? And and some of them are completely new to MLQ as a whole, which is a whole other challenge. Um, And how will they adapt and perform? But one of my other storylines that I think you need to take a step back and look at a little bit is kind of like the context of the season, right? So there's so much turnover across the board. Boston had the least turnover with 40%. Rochester and New York had about 50% and Admirals had about 60%. So chemistry is huge, right? With about half of each roster getting changed out. And assuming, I'm an optimist, assuming every team is back to full practices as soon as possible, that it's very sensitive in terms of how much chemistry can be created in this limited amount of time. And specifically, the schedule, again, I'm an optimist, I'm going to go about with with phase two. Um, (laughs) The first scheduled series is June 26th. So that's New York Titans hosting Charlotte and Rochester. And then two weeks after that, Washington is hosting the Titans. And a week after that, Boston is playing its first series at home against Rochester. So this means the Titans are playing three of their four series before Boston even plays its first series. 
And that is huge time for Boston to develop, to develop its system and get some quality practice time and integrate the newer players into their system, which I think in terms of team chemistry, that cannot be overstated how important that is. Yeah, that was, wow, that was such a great point. Oh, my goodness. I did not realize how many games the Titans have to play before Boston even sees the field once. It's That's crazy. incredible. <laughs> uh, wow. Um, that, that is uh, – oh, go ahead. No, I, I don't mean to overwhelm you. I know you're on the Titans squad. But also, <laughs> there is something to be said about, you know, field testing, right? You know, seeing how your strategy and how your team is working out in a series and then making adjustments. So I think there's an argument to be made for the Titans benefiting from that as opposed to Boston who, you know, develops a system, thinks it's going to work, and then finally hits the field and needs to rework after that maybe. But um, there is a huge difference between the season that the Titans will have and the Forge will have. Yeah, there, there are definitely advantages and disadvantages to both scenarios. Um, but it's still interesting to look at just how drastically different the road will be for each of these teams to get to the division title. Mm-hmm. Um, but speaking of the divisional title, I believe, you know, the defending champions, Boston, have to be considered the favorites. But out to take them on, who do you think might be the dark horse of the division if it isn't going to be Washington? So you could, like, remain bias-free. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's a great uh, caveat. So I mentioned this to a friend today. I think I could predict the win-loss records for each team about 10 times. And be wrong every time. Like, the parity in this division is crazy. I mean, I really have to say Boston and New York because they've been kind of going back and forth since the beginning of MLQ. New York finally took its first win against Boston in 2019, kind of opening the door for some more success. And to be honest, I think that Boston is a team that's benefited a lot from not having to change for a very long time. And now they're having to kind of change and adjust. So. I think it's going to be very interesting to see if New York can exploit that change because New York has had a very different roster almost every year. And I think that this is definitely an opportunity for, for New York to take it. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Um, wholeheartedly. Like this is definitely going to be a year I think of, especially just those top three of uh, Boston, New York and Washington. I think that it's a three headed race to see who goes uh, probably some of the top dogs from the South and maybe even a, contender out of the north as well but mm-hmm. um I, I think that the team i'm most curious about uh isn't necessarily someone who uh is at the top of the you know this the standings in the east division but it's actually this expansion team um mm-hmm. the charlotte aviators uh, just because some of the names on here are incredible you have uh people like um perry wang and, and ryan davis and uh you have Cody LeBeau, who come over, comes over from uh, New Orleans, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, they pair up with people like uh, Jess Daly, or Daly, sorry, and uh, even Lee Hodge. Um, there's just the, the name, I could just name names, you know, on and on and on off this, mm-hmm. this team's roster. This team looks incredible on paper. Um, I'm really, really excited to see, you know, how they end up matching up against, you know, the, the Washingtons, the Rochesters, the New Yorks, um, who, you know, are themselves trying to make a case against Boston. So uh, I think it'll be a really interesting year or a really interesting season. Totally. Yeah. And, and Charlotte is kind of my, my dark horse pick just because 
they have a clean slate. You know, there's no real expectation. Yeah. It's a tester season for them. They have nothing to lose. I expect them to bring it. Yeah, uh, 100%. All right. Uh, I think that's everything I have on the rosters. Is there anything else you wanted to uh, mention about, you know, any of the rosters in the East Division that you've seen you really liked or anything like that? Um, I think the only other point I have is, um, you know, the the interesting storyline of the return of certain players to franchises that have, might have missed a year or two. Um, like, for example, New York's picking up uh, J.C. Aaron Sibia, who absolutely amazing keeper, amazing ball handler, really lethal driver, um, has played for the likes of Bosney and played for the Warriors kind of been all over the board in the Northeast. And I think, especially with those losses we mentioned earlier, he's going to be huge. Um, and then from Boston, uh, the return of Morgan Bertram and Timothy Kurable. Uh, they've both been on Boston rosters in the past, but have now returned. And I think Morgan, who is originally from RPI, is really, really important depth behind Grace Das too, who I know was, you know, kind of, was super integral to Boston's championship run in 2019, but the depth behind her um, was inconsistent. So I think Morgan is absolutely a really important add, especially as the Quaffle players are, are a little more lacking this year for Boston. Um, and then of course I have to mention for the admirals, the return of legendary Katrina Hicks, who um, mm. played for the admirals, far back in the day in 2015 and then again i think in maybe 2018 or 2017 so she's come out of retirement to beat um thank god um for the admiral <laughs> um as well as players like brendan hutton and bernie burgess who are also previous admirals players um so we've definitely aside from the shakeups we've we've brought some people back from the grave a little bit in terms of retirement and and leaving quidditch temporarily so that's really exciting to see. I'm very curious um, in a season where a lot of us haven't played in a very long time and there's a lot of rust to see how these players integrate into all of the rule changes um, and just kind of see, you know, who's going to hit the ground running in terms of fitness and in terms of shaking off the rust. I think all of these teams have a lot of work to do um, and it's just going to be a matter of, of discipline and, and coaching. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree wholeheartedly. Um, but I think all that, in a sense, makes just this season uh, hopefully just extremely exciting and, and interesting. Um, and then, like you said earlier as well, I really love the parody in this East Division. So I'm excited to see how things shake out uh, at the end of the year, at the end of the summer. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, aside from that, thank you so much, Julia, for joining me Uh and uh, hopefully I uh, will be able to see you on the field this year. <laughs> yes, please. Kellen, it's an honor. Thank you for asking me to join. Hey, everyone. Uh, so today I have with me uh, to discuss the MLQ North division uh, for this 2021 season, the coach of the Indianapolis Intensity, Nathan Digman. How you doing, Nate? Doing well. Doing well. Thanks for having me, Kellen. All right. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining me. Um, it's a pleasure having uh, such a strategic and, and uh, well-known Quidditch mind on the pod talking about, you know, Quidditch. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I don't know about I guess, that. No, <laughs> <laughs> no it's, uh, I trust you. Trust you. You, you definitely are uh, quite the mind, quite the mind. But 
Uh, let's uh, dive right into these rosters, man. So, uh, out of all of these North teams, uh, which uh, names, which offseason additions do uh, or like stand out the most to you? Yeah, you, we just jump right in, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd like to get things rolling. Yeah. Uh, you know, the in the North, it's it's interesting because I feel like every team has just such an interesting blend of uh, college and club players. And especially with 2020 being off, um, I'll admit, I don't know everybody on every team, which is a unique thing for me. So I feel a little bit uh, uninformed relative to usual, but I guess uh, what I'll start off by saying is I think, um, you know, on paper, uh, I really like what uh, the Monarchs have put together. You know, they've got, a really solid beating core. I think that that really jumps out. They traditionally have had solid chasing core, which, you know, they, they kind of kept the same bodies from that standpoint, but their beating core. I love Joe Blanchard. They have got a, a good crew like April Gracie and Nicole, April Grabner, Gracie Johnson, and Nicole Nelson are awesome group of, of women. And then Cole, Latchmiller, Cody Narvison, and Sean Paguada is like a to compliment, you know, Joe, who I already mentioned is just I, I don't know. I think that that's probably one of the one of the best beating cores that group has ever had, if not the best. And I'm really excited to see see how that that plays out. Cause I think traditionally that's been an area where that that group has struggled. You know, they're not able to play in the beating game at as high of a level sometimes, and it's held them back. But I'm really excited to see what they can do as that continues to get built out. Yeah, for sure. I, uh, I What really sticks out to me about this Monarch squad is, like, in addition to just all those incredible beaters you mentioned, now we get to see, uh, you know, seekers like Henry Bear Benson, who I believe is one of the best uh, in the country. He's just an incredible beater. Uh, he gets, you know, to work with all these beaters that you named, um, you know, April, Gracie, Joe, Nicole, like all of those beats you just listed off. Um, and I'm excited to see, uh, you know, just how he performs in a different team. Um, but you still also have incredible talents coming out of college, like uh, Henry Crowell from BU and uh, mm-hmm. Zeke from UMish. Um, like the names could go on and on. That Monarchs team is just very, very interesting on paper. So I agree. I'm, I'm really excited to see how they do. Um, yeah. I think they're uh their chaser core. So like I, I feel like I almost underhyped it. Like I think that group <laughs> uh Max Meyer gets a lot of attention. Uh he was MVP of the North last, well, I guess twenty nineteen season. But that that group is a lot more than just Max. You know, they're even beyond the people that you just named, uh Alex O'Banner is an outstanding player, Terry Carlson. I've, I've actually gotten the privilege to play with a lot of these people. I had a, a stint on uh, TCQC back in the day. Um, so I know firsthand uh, Matt Bassard is a beast as well. So some, some, and Beth Mueller uh, is, is a beast too. So they've, they've just really got a solid, uh, solid core all around. It'll be interesting to see Cody Narvison's coaching this year. So it'll be interesting to see kind of how he puts all the chess pieces together. Mm, yeah yeah i mean i so i agree i i think the monarchs have a really really interesting squad um personally i i have a couple names who have really stuck out to me at least on paper um we have leo freed out of uh harvard he's playing for detroit this year that kid mm-hmm. can play 
Quidditch. When I tell you, oof, as a keeper and a seeker, right? Um, I had the, I was lucky enough to have an opportunity to work with him at this like seeking workshop uh, in Harvard one time. So uh, Leo is incredible. And as well, I think uh, playing for y'all actually, Ali Manzella. Uh, I don't know if this is our first year with intensity. Uh, I believe it is, but Ali Manzella and, and Tim Kwan, I think are two huge, huge players. Um, so India is like super lucky to have those, those players. Yeah, we're really excited for both of them. Uh, Leo, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm excited to see what, what he can do in the North. You know, last time Quidditch was played, I know he was kind of making a name for himself. It'll be really interesting to see how that, how that plays out uh, within that Detroit team and that Detroit system, how they're able to put him to work and utilize his skill set. It'll be really fascinating. Yeah, I, I think it's always something about uh, it, it kind of for it's a further it's a testament to how great of a player uh, you can be if you can really excel in you know, multiple divisions, multiple regions. So I'm really excited for Leo. I hope he, he really does well in Detroit because I think it'll just uh, start to earn him a little bit more of that respect that he really deserves um, just as an overall all around Quidditch player. Um, but yeah, so we, you know, we mentioned a couple of our biggest uh, additions. Are there any noticeable uh, losses for any teams that you've seen that have really stuck out to you? Not necessarily. Uh, I'm, you know, I haven't dug into it that much to think about other teams. I know for our team, we're going to really miss Max Jolly. Um, mm. Max has been a mainstay for, well, people who know the college game well, Max has been a mainstay at Ball State for years now. And then through that whole time period, he's been a key player for intensity. Last, I guess, 2019 season, Max was really arguably our most important Quaffle player. You know, he was just critical to everything that we did. Um, so I felt it's important to give him a shout out. He's been outstanding for so many years. We'll miss him a lot. And then Matt Pesh, uh, who has been a part of intensity since like 2015. This will be his first season, not with us. I believe he might have one off, uh, but he's no longer living in radius. So we're going to miss him a lot too. Uh, other programs. Uh, it's kind of a mixed bag. I, I, I'm sure every, every coach would have their, their uh, answer of who they're going to miss most, but that, that's definitely what comes to mind for me, for our people. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I, I definitely hear you. All right. Um, so I know we kind of talked about a couple of, you know, the plethora of additions that each team has had, because, of course, there's, you know, high turnover with every single roster across the whole league. Are, are there any noticeable rookies maybe outside of the ones that we've mentioned that, you know, you kind of are keeping your eye on throughout the season? I don't know if Sam Repnicki is a rookie to MLQ. I would assume is a rookie to MLQ. I don't think he's been a part of it in the past. Uh, he was an awesome keeper chaser for Miami of Ohio a few years back. I could be wrong in that he maybe has played and I just haven't played against him yet. Uh, like he missed a series or something, but uh, he's going to be a huge addition for for Cleveland, you know, that was uh, when he, I believe it was his senior year at Miami of Ohio, they had a, a pretty good run at U.S. Quidditch Cup. And I mean, he was kind of a, a critical piece to everything that they were doing. They had a, a, an awesome quaffle line. So he's probably going to be a, a pretty big impact on on the Riff. Yeah, I mean, this Riff team just looks really interesting, uh, top to bottom, you know, getting back a lot of old talent, but also like a lot of new talent as well. Yeah, there's a lot of familiar faces from uh, 2019. Uh, Melinda Stop. I'll 
she'll I probably butchered her name. She played for Boom Train, so I also know of her very well. I would say that like I would put a recommendation in for her to be considered for Team USA. Like she is an outstanding quaffle player, especially defensively. Per, like <laughs> she's she just stays in front of everybody and it's incredible like that i think that'll be a pretty huge addition for them as well and then yeah i think you you hinted there's been some uh, somebody had mentioned somewhere on the forums i think talking about john gaffigan joining up uh, <laughs> playing again I, I don't know how long he's been playing but or, or when the last time he played was but yeah, Ben Strauss will be coaching them this year. I'm curious to know how he gets everybody uh, up to speed. Because, uh, yeah. yeah, it's it's like people from different, you know, Quidditch backgrounds, the different people that we've named from their team thus far. You know, a lot of the other people were are, are returners from uh, their 2019 campaign. But some of those new pieces, it'll be interesting to see how they fit together. Because a lot of those are, you know, I think those will be key players for them. Yeah. And uh, the, what really sticks out to me, uh, in addition to, you know, everyone you already have mentioned was uh, like the just duo of Harrison Daniel and uh, Colton Snyder, just like seeing that speed on pitch. I think they like just watching their film. I, I think they really stick out. So I'm excited to just see what this team looks like uh, coming up this year. All right. But so we kind of talked about how Cleveland is, mixing all this talent together and they're probably going to have an interesting season in terms of adapting to this uh, currently modern style. But uh, are there any other like interesting storylines that you see amongst the division? I I think probably the, the most interesting one will be how everyone manages to the fact that, well, a, this is for everybody in MLQ a, you know, have not having played in so long and just kind of the, just dealing with COVID and figuring out how to like get practices in and like have everybody up to speed, but then B specifically to the North. I think one of the most interesting storylines all year is going to be how people plan knowing that they're going to have a spot at championships because since Toronto's not going to be a part of it, all the North teams qualified already. So, you know, there's going to be this element of, in the early season, are you going to be spending time just like developing chemistry or are you going to be like win at all costs and the back end of the roster doesn't develop? Um, I think that there's going to be an interesting balance to be played for all of the all of the different teams because, you know, each of these teams has we, we've mentioned there's kind of new pieces added where people probably haven't played together. And it'll take time. So do you like work on the chemistry or are you just like what will win us this game today? Yeah, I, I agree. Chemistry is such a, a huge, you know, a huge part of this uh, whole season. I, I think that the North Division in particular, they're a little bit lucky uh, in the sense that they don't have any Super Series this season. So, you know, you can really dedicate your preparation time, your week of practice or whatever to, you know, a singular opponent for every series. But uh, I really do think that it's going to be interesting seeing just how things shake up how you know the standings end out um just because every team is going to be looking extremely different than it has in the past so uh it's just a lot of getting used to each other getting used to figuring out play styles things like that i couldn't agree with you more now who if you can't name intensity (laughs) um would you say is probably going to be the favorite for uh winning this division 
Uh, the team that I led off with, I think Monarchs are, uh, you know, at least on paper, they seem to be the most dangerous. That's probably I'm a little biased because I mentioned I've played with a lot of those people and I know what they can do. Um, they're also, I don't know if they'll hate me for saying this. I'm pretty sure they're the oldest team. I could be wrong. They've got a lot of new young uh, Minnesota people, University of Minnesota people who will probably bring the average down, but they've got a lot of people who've been playing Quidditch for a long time you know, five, six, seven years. And that level of experience when, when you've had a break, I think helps a lot, you know, cause just muscle memory, I think that's going to help them a lot. And then also just like the additions you mentioned, uh, Henry cruel, Henry bear Benson, Sean Paguada is a, is a big addition for them as well. Zeke, you know, all, all of those different pieces when last year I, I or I guess 2019, I should say, I think they got, you know, it, it was either they got second or it was, it was pretty close between them, Toronto and Detroit. It was kind of a, a toss up. Um, you kind of put all of that, all of those pieces together. It seems like on paper they've, they've added the most, but it, you know, we'll, we'll see how it all actually plays out. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, to be fair though, it, in my opinion, like outside of the Monarchs, I, I really just think that this intensity team is just incredibly strong. Um, just looking at the roster on paper, like even the addition of, we haven't mentioned him yet, but Tad Walters is a very good beater. <laughs> um, and so it's nice to see him, you know, uh, just showing up on an MLQ team. We get to see him play over the summer. Uh, and it's, of course, it's an incredibly well-coached team as well, but um I, I think there's just so many names on this roster that, uh, that just really make it hard to believe that there's another team out there other than maybe like uh, the Monarchs or the Innovators or something that they could just keep up. I don't know. It just there's so much depth as well too. Uh, <laughs> I, I'll probably downplay us uh, a lot just out of uh, out of human nature, but yeah. you know, I, w- I will say we've got a lot of. Um, a lot of people who are also, you know, new to MLQ. Uh, we've got some people who are pretty darn new to Quidditch as well, uh, which will be pretty, pretty interesting. One, one of the things that I'm probably most excited for is just infusing the program with some new, new blood. Uh, you know, some, some people who we haven't gotten to see. So Tad's an example of somebody who's probably been around uh, a lot of these people in the past. You know, he played Intensity 2018. Uh, but you know, somebody you mentioned, Tim Kwan, super excited to have Tim a part of things, Peyton J, Alyssa Irwin, you mentioned Allie, Helen Trudell, uh, is somebody who is, um, <laughs> she hasn't played much Quidditch. I'll say that. Uh, but we're really yeah. excited to see how she develops throughout the summer. I guess with that said though, probably our biggest challenge, like everybody I, I hinted at it before is going to be, uh, how do we develop chemistry throughout the summer and, and make sure that we, um, <laughs> you know, don't, you know, sacrifice too much in the early going as we're kind of figuring out the system and figuring out, you know, how to play together, because that's typically our, our biggest challenge with people coming from a lot of different backgrounds. Yeah, for sure. For sure. All right. Well, now that I, you know, I've given you a chance to, you know, talk a little bit about your own team. Um, are there any other uh, final point you wanted to make just about the division as a whole or anything else you've seen in particular that you really like? I think the the North gets underhyped a lot when when there's actually a lot of really exciting Quidditch played. Uh, you know, I, I I hyped the Monarchs a little bit. At the end of the day, what's probably going to play out this season is a lot of games within, re- really, where whoever 
I, I was going to say like within a snitch grab, but end game kind of changes that uh, just close games. I'll say last season, you know, even I think in t- or, uh, 2019, I keep saying last season, 2019 intensity was like 11 and one, but most of our games were pretty dang close. Uh, if you kind of look back on it. So we just kind of just barely had, had little margin for error and, uh, and snuck out. I think it, it's going to be the battle of kind of who wins the close games um, because you know, in reality, I mean, any of these teams could could finish one through four. Um, and that's kind of what makes it so exciting on a year to year basis because um, everybody's kind of preparing. I think in a lot of uh, the other divisions, it's kind of like so-and-so is going to win the division. So-and-so is probably going to get second or third. I don't I don't really see any clear hierarchy in, in the north. I think last time around Cleveland had, I think they had kind of the, the worst season of everybody in the North, but even, even Cleveland, I think has a pretty good shot um, to be competitive this year with the, some of the pieces that they've added. So it's really exciting to be, be talking Quidditch and thinking about what a season could look like here. Um, especially when, when I know personally, I'm biased. I'm excited to play some, play some of these people, play against some of these people in some really competitive games. It'll, it'll be a fun season. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think that's really the the sticking point about the whole season in general. It's, there's so much turnover roster to roster that um, regardless of what team it is, every team is just going to – there's an extremely high level of parity um, is what I'm trying to say. Like every team really has a shot to some degree. Um, there's, you know, so much potential for newer players to step up and really take – you know, a stranglehold on the spotlight. So I'm really excited to see, you know, how uh, everything shakes out this year. Yeah, for Um, sure. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much again for joining me, man. I really do appreciate it. Um, Yeah, you're welcome. Happy to be here. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. For sure. Uh, And thank you everyone for uh, tuning in uh, with uh, me and Nathan on this talk about the North Division. Hello, everyone. Uh, thank you again for tuning in. Uh, so today, here with me to talk about these new MLQ South rosters that just dropped, we have uh, University of Texas alum Ragu Akuchola. Thanks, Rag, for joining us. How are you doing, man? I'm, do- I'm doing pretty well. All right. Great to hear. Great to hear. Um, so I guess to start things off, um, I'd love to know, you know, out of all the rosters you've looked at and everything for the South Division, what has been the biggest like off-season trans uh, transaction that you've seen? The the biggest addition that a team has made? Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's hard to point to uh, a single addition, especially since we're out uh, now two years um, since we've last had a MLQ full season. But I, I got to say the Austin Outlaws chaser roster, in particular their female chaser depth, is astonishing. Um, at the beginning, because, you know, I'm the MLQ gameplay director, so I, I see some roster moves very early on in the process before the roster drops. And so I was, I think I was really feeling really good about San Antonio's roster coming up. And I'd sort of like just not paid attention to a lot of the moves that Austin was making. And then when the drop, the drop happened, uh, j- just the depth of that chaser squad is insane. Yeah. I, I think I got to agree with you. I'm in the same boat, man. I was 
really hype on this this San Antonio squad, especially with you know UTSA's performance the last time we had college Quidditch. But yeah, once this Austin Outlaws roster just officially became public, I couldn't help but just like my jaw just dropped to the floor, man. <laughs> the talent from head to toe. This this team just looks even scarier than it has any of the other years I've seen them play, and that's saying a lot. Coming off you know two a uh, two time repeating championship last couple of years, right? Yeah. Um. All right. So I guess for me personally. I think that uh, one of the most exciting uh, transactions I've seen is uh, Justin DeWick out of Mizzou joining this Kansas City team. Um, I don't know if you had a chance to really look at this Kansas City team. They look really, really young. Uh, I'm seeing a lot of Creighton talent, a lot of KU talent, but uh, I'm really, really intrigued by seeing how uh, players like Justin and, you know, they have others like Lauren Levin and, and Darren Mercer-Gallis, you know, people like these who uh, they haven't really had that much of a chance to make a name for themselves on more national stage. So I'm curious to see how they'll hang in probably one of the more tougher divisions in MLQ this year. Yeah, for, for sure. And I think uh, Kansas City's roster is a very unique combination of players that haven't really, I, I guess, played together on MLQ before. And uh, e- even even recently, for coming from the USQ Southwest region, uh, Ryan Davis, there there are two Ryan Davises in the Quidditch community in MLQ. <laughs> but this one um, played for Texas the three years. They won their back-to-back-to-back uh, back back titles. And so that was an interesting name. Um Seeing seeing that gameplay waiver come through was uh, a little a, a little. Uh, I mean, it, it was surprising, but in a good way. I, I was, I, I started thinking a lot of things, being like, okay, this is really interesting. How how is this team going to gel together? Because it's a, uh, it's it's a it's a nice group of talent right there. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of talent. Um, it will be interesting to see how they come together for sure. I have to agree with you on that one. Um, all right, so our favorite additions. Uh, I'd like to quickly just see, you know, some of our most noticeable losses. Um, I know personally for me, I, I really recognize the fact that, you know, Curse, who was already pretty consistent in their roster every year, uh, they lost a couple of crucial pieces to uh, Charlotte, which I know is the East Division team, so we don't have to go into them too much. But I, uh, I think my biggest... Uh, for sure, my biggest, like, uh, I guess, kind of roster loss, personally, would have to be uh, JJ, Josh Johnson, leaving League City to go to Austin. Because um, I, I think that man is a star in the making. And that's really got to hurt for League City, a team who's looking to contend, you know, amongst the big boys this season. Yeah, I think I think JJ's had an incredible USQ season. And uh, it's, it, it's going to be a bit it's going to be a big ask. If you look at like the keeper roster of the outlaws, it's uh, it's some big names to live up to there for JJ and a lot of talent that he needs to be able to uh, manage properly. And so it's definitely a point where league city took a big hit with, uh, with losing him. I, I in particular, just given, I, I recently watched uh, the 2019 finals where uh, Mario Nasta, Max Havlin, Leanne Dillman, they're all just, uh, Lulu Zoo, they're all just dominating Austin's beaters, except for Tate and Kylie. 
And seeing Kylie no longer on that beater roster, even though they do have some very talented beaters, is uh, I think it's going to be an understated loss uh, for Austin this season. Wow, yeah, that's that's an incredible point. Uh, I actually just also was watching that, uh, especially the 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 final series, but also just the New York Austin series as well. I think out of all the Austin beaters, Kylie was the one constant that just like really had an impact on those games. Um, so I agree. That's a, that's a huge loss for Austin. I'm curious to see, you know, how these newer beaters step in. I mean, I say newer, but they're quite experienced. You know, you have Jackson Johnson, Halle Pace, uh, people who haven't really played much MLQ. So I'm curious to see how they like mix in well with the chaser groups. But yeah, that's, that's a huge loss for them. Yeah, uh, for sure. And I think, Especially Kylie is one of those super underrated beaters because I think a lot of us have this preference for a certain style of beating where it's all like pizzazz and show like showmanship almost where it's incredible catches or like sprinting down the field and making long beats. And um, there's this defensive style that Kylie plays uh, that is just so hard to counter and it makes uh, offensive beaters try to do ridiculous things to gain control from her and they get burned on the mm-hmm. counterattack. And you see that um, seeing Kylie in that situation in MLQ reminded me of, I think it was either 2016 or 2017 MLQ championships where Mario Nasta, we ha- I think Austin had Michael Duquette and Augie Monroe beating and they had dominated every squad up till there. And then they ran into Mario and they, it was just a wall. And I think Kylie is one of those unique beaters where you could dominate like seven other, seven other beaters out there, but you need to do a lot more to, to dominate that big against Kylie. And so that's what I think gave Austin a lot of their, a lot of their strength in those matchups. And so that's going to be an interesting loss. Yeah, I agree. It's it's always hard losing someone who, you know, fresh out of college is going toe-to-toe with some of the best beating pairs in the world, you know, USNT beating pairs. So uh, I agree wholeheartedly. That's It's going to be a huge loss losing Kylie, arguably just one of the best talents in Quidditch, um, regardless of position right there. Um, all right, so kind of just moving past these, uh, just the singular aspects, I, I kind of want to look more macro level, more team level. Do you have any, you know, interesting divisional storylines for, you know, heading into the season that you kind of want to bring up? Uh, Yeah, for sure. I think it's really interesting where we saw UTSA, I think you mentioned it earlier, have that incredible, incredible rookie season where we had like 10 or so rookies just outperform uh, almost everyone in the in the USQ Southwest. And so seeing a lot of those names on that UTSA team, I think UTSA has some of the most underrated uh, names in Quidditch, whereas like Austin obviously has all the big names and uh, everyone knows what they can do. Whereas I think San Antonio is one of those teams where a lot of those names don't get talked about enough. Like Luke Langlinay's, like I know he's a USNT chaser, but compared to the hype other USNT chasers get, I don't think uh, he gets as much hype as he deserves uh, comparatively. And so a lot of the names on that roster are very similar to that with um, like Tyler Zreet, for example, Tim Wen, Mel Kite, uh, Matthew Blackwood, who I was really high on, Amber Bonham, which 
I think a lot of people just don't know how talented she is uh, because it, it's easy to miss it. I think she played a single season or maybe two, one and a half seasons uh, for Texas State. And she, she's such a dynamic chaser. And there's just so many, so many names on this roster that are so underrated. And I think one of the lessons we've learned from USQ or uh, MLQ the past two seasons is that under underrated talent that's well gelled can upset better talent that's like not well gelled so that's going to be an interesting storyline between san antonio and uh austin this season yeah i mean that's a that's a great point because austin is a bit you know heavy on talent uh but i i really like the san antonio roster a lot as you know we both said earlier like i think mel kite is absolutely sensational as a chaser Mm -hmm. Uh, and then you have huge pieces like uh, Tim Wynn, Connor McIntyre, of course. And like you said, Tyler Zipstreet, like so many great players on that team. And they're all so young, so much to, you know, so much room for growth. I, I think personally, though, I'm most excited to kind of see between, uh, you know, all these contenders in the South Division, which team really gives Austin its best run for its money. Um, because obviously, you know, San Antonio was in the mix last season and uh, they made it all the way up to the semis, unfortunately being knocked out by the eventual champions, uh, the uh, Boston team. But uh, I really am interested by this League City team. You know, they had yeah. Dylan Freeman coming back. Like, Colin Foot is incredible. Like, I, there are very few people who I can genuinely say might be the fastest people in Quidditch. I mean, Colin definitely has to be in that conversation, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, amongst many other names on that team. But then also, like I was bringing up earlier, this Kansas City team, like Lauren Curry as well. It's just, just there's so many great names on, on both this League City and um, Kansas City team that I really think they could give San Antonio a better run for their money this year in terms of, like, really being that, that top dog that challenges Austin. I think I think League City is always in this interesting position because so much of their um, so much of their squad comes from that Sam Houston pipeline and Sam Houston in U.S. Quidditch is just constantly underrated. I think because of school reasons, they couldn't go to a U.S. Nationals, and then I think in the previous U.S. Nationals, they're being out by a fellow Southwest team or something happened. But Sam Houston almost never gets the credit they was they deserve i think sam houston's one of those teams where they constantly appear in the top 10 and no one outside the region really knows anything other than two or three names from them and so i think that's um that's what's uh weighing down the initial like reaction when people see this league city roster but there is there's so much talent in here uh, you you did you did mention colin friday joining this team sort of softening the blow of uh jj not not being there uh but also like these chasers like hayden boys Haley dupre and the keeper like brandon kubna these players consistently give the best colleges in u.s quidditch a lot of trouble like they consistently bother texas this season they just are a lot more talented than i think people see and i think we've not really seen a league city roster really gel since um since we had San Antonio added as a team and so they've sort of taken away the spotlight being like okay we're the true challengers to Austin but i think 
League City is definitely a strong contender. Okay. Um, so it sounds like you're uh, really high on League City being one of the better underdogs in the division. Um, but I guess it's like on a more national scale. Uh, how good of a chance do you think Austin has to really take it all this year? You know, uh, I think it's Austin's to lose. You know, we we had a really we had a really tough uh, loss in the finals for Austin last year, right? Because uh, we had, I believe, in game one, John Anderson catches a snitch, and they end up losing that game to Boston. And so it's it's the little things. I think if that Austin team back then was that close to a title, I think this Austin team it's theirs to lose. I could see a few possible uh, weak points or question marks. Obviously, Boston still has Mario Nasta, Max Havlin, Lulu Zhu, Leanne Dillman, which the beating squad that gave Austin beaters so much trouble in 2019. But it's hard looking at this roster uh, to not feel like this is Austin's, uh, Austin's championship to lose. Yeah, I mean, I, I hear you loud and clear, man. Like, just looking at this roster from top to bottom, outside of, of course, the huge blow that um, they suffered with losing Kylie, I just don't really see any real hole or, or weakness or deficiency that this roster might have on paper. You know, like, they really added just uh, supplemental depth at every single position, and the depth isn't like, you know, no names or, or players not getting much time. They're all like stars playing for the old teams, right? You have Aaron McBride and Casey Irwin, who just absolutely balled out last year at 20 or at in 2019 championship finals. Now they're getting uh, some more depth with Casey Beavers coming in. Like that's actually insane, you know, and it's like that uh, top to bottom on the whole roster. Uh, it's just it's really scary, man. <laughs> I definitely have to admit, it's, it's really scary. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think you pretty much nailed it. You mentioned three female chasers on that roster, and the like. some of the ones that are still remaining, uh, I cannot hype up Valerie Quintanilla enough. Um, I, I said it on the forums, and I'll say it again. If we made a list of top three Texas alums that – you have no uh, n- top three scary Texas alums that you have no idea who they are. Valerie would top that list every single time. She's been a beast for the Warriors, and she was a incredible talent uh, for Texas squads that didn't know how to use her right. And on top of that, you have, of course, like Caroline Tao, who was like n- the uh, top unmarked wing for Texas for much of this year, and it- it's just crazy that you can conceivably have a situation where you say, yeah, I'm sorry, our Casey and Casey, the two Casey's are out for this, for championships, for whatever reason. Not, there's like very little talent drop from there. And so yeah. that's, that's, wow. that's a crazy statement. And also with, with the beaters coming back, um, Eddie Molina, that, that was a huge, huge ad uh, this year. Eddie completely dominated the college scene and, U.S. Quidditch Cup 11 and getting to have him back, which allows him to pair up with Hallie or Tate and also allows Jack, right? It allows him to pair up with some of these beaters who are sort of new to the scene. So Porvi 
and Mia both played for Texas this past season. And so Jack and Tate have a lot of experience working with them. And uh, that might sort of ease the transition of going from your first rookie year on Texas, which was interrupted by the pandemic. So you never really played on the national stage. Now you have these beaters behind Hallie playing on a MLQ championship stage for the first time. And you can take Jack and Tate and say, okay, you're partnered with them because we have Eddie and Jackson uh, to uh, pair up with Hallie. That that's insane. Uh, um, and that's, that's an understated uh, capability of this team with the depth that they added. Yeah. It, it, it's just, it's absolutely wild. The amount of talent they were able to get out this year. Um, but you know, like everything in life, it's, it's easy to say to, but we got to see, you know, how to execute on the field. Yep. Um, I, I am really, though, excited about all the upcoming matchups, uh, even within this South Division and outside as well. Um, all right, but I think that just about wraps up everything I wanted to cover. Is there anything else you wanted to add on, lastly, before we uh, end it out here? Yeah, I think um, I think the South Division in particular has a lot of young talent that just joined MLQ, and so I'm super excited to that, whether that's the Creighton uh, squad joining Kansas City or uh, the sorry, UTSA squad joining San Antonio. These are two top teams on from USQ College squad last, uh, last time we had a, a USQ season. And so I personally am like so excited and so glad that they stuck to the sport. Uh, a lot of these players, they had half a season. And the fact that they fell in love with the sport enough to continues to when Quidditch came back, now they're playing on MLQ teams. Uh, it's definitely really inspiring. It makes me really hopeful for the future of Quidditch and uh, and MLQ in, in particular. Wow. Well said, Rags. Uh, <laughs> thank you so much again for joining the uh, pod with me. Um, this is a pleasure. Uh, and, you know, I hope everyone listening, uh, please, if, if you... know liked what we said if you hated what we said if you're indifferent just let me know hit me up with a message i'd love to hear y'all's thoughts on these rosters as well uh thanks for listening